Influencers Global Speaker Series, we're calling it. Uh, it's funny how a lot of creativity's come out of the COVID and, and new ideas are are sparking. And uh, we thought, well, we've got this technology and people are used to using it. So uh, it would allow us to to uh, let you all get exposure to Rocky and other some of our other leaders in this ministry uh, through Zoom. And, and so one, once a month, we're trying to uh, do a little different topic. So I asked Rocky to, to join us tonight. Uh, the title of this is going to be called Moving Beyond the Inner Chamber. That's kind of our theme tonight. And so before we get started, I'm going to just open us in prayer. And uh, so let me uh, let me do that. Well, Father, thank you for uh, Rocky Fleming, uh, my mentor, my spiritual father, and and a spiritual father to a lot, of, a lot of people in this ministry, Lord. And just thank you for his faithfulness, his obedience. And Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your inspiration, your faithfulness, and how you have guided this ministry to where it is today. And and uh, just so many beautiful stories along the way. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for tonight. Let it be a, let this be a real blessing tonight, Lord. Let it be a, just another marker in the history of this ministry of of all the things that looking back and looking ahead, at the just the beautiful things you've done, Lord. And so I pray everyone is blessed mm-hmm. tonight. Pray uh, it'll just be exactly what it needs to be tonight. Pray you'll help the technology hold up. That's always a little iffy sometimes on on these Zoom calls. Pray that'll go smooth and. And that this will just be a wonderful night. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Well, Rocky, I I wanted to start. I, you know, uh, your very first book that it, it's not your very first book. The very first book technically was Prayer Cottage. But the second book was Journey to the Inner Chamber, which most people think of as the first book because we use it as our on-ramp to our discipleship process. Um you know, there's a great scene uh, with a guy when he gets to the kind of the climax of, of part one of the story, and uh, he finds himself in front of that doorway that says, he who enters can only enter through personal abandonment and absolute trust. And he has to fight, you know, his fear and all that and steps into that and the door is shut. And I think a lot of people would think that'd be where the story ends. He found Jesus. It's him and Jesus the rest of the time, right? No, nothing else matters. But the, of course, the story didn't end there. Uh People may remember that uh, he comes out of the inner chamber and he looks like a different man. He's got the spiritual armor on and he's he's ready to go. And and there's a horse waiting for him and another influencer. They're going to go out and find some more more refugees. Um, so uh, you were move, trying to move people beyond the inner chamber from the very beginning of this whole ministry. Right. It, it never was intended to just go in and stay. So so talk a little bit about that. After all the years we've been doing this. Do people get that? Do they get that that you got to come out of the inner chamber and go, or or do people just kind of want to stay stay in the inner chamber? Talk talk about that, Rocky. Sure, Brian. I have felt all along that everything that I have written and everything that I do uh, for the last lot of years, but also currently, is directly related to my relationship with Christ. And, you know, one thing that he began teaching me several years ago was about spiritual gifts and that I had my own gifts. I have my own gift mix. And like a lot of people, I I kind of felt like that it was about me. 
you know, I needed to get my act in gear. I had to get myself taken care of. And, and through that became, it became a personal journey to get to know him better. Now, a lot of that was desperation. A lot of that was because I didn't have a mentor. I, the only thing I did know was that the scriptures are inspired and they're, and they will guide you if you will listen to them. And I was just that way. I just sought answers. <clears throat> how to live my life, how to raise my family, how to raise my children, how to navigate my career as a businessman, but as a Christian man. And through all of that, that was a, a place that I was tempered, seasoned, um, and shown that the world is just really not the place that I longed for. There was something more. And when I, when I discovered John 15, in 1985, and I, and I say I discovered it, I'd already read, read it many times before, but I didn't discover it. And, and I think that's the difference is that a lot of times we have these great things that come across Hey, Pro Rocky, you're freezing up a little bit there for a second. But that we don't grasp it, not just for the moment, but for the next. Okay, can you hear me now, Brian? Yeah, it was kind of getting a little uh, slow there, but I think you're back. Yeah, you froze as well. <clears throat> so, and and unfortunately, this is what we have to deal with now. So I apologize. It's just one of those things that we we just can't control the airways. But what I was saying is that, and I was making a point that it was my own personal journey that took me to a place that I was longing for. I was longing for it, and when I began to find it, I wanted to stay put there. I wanted to park there. I wanted it to be just about me and maybe my children and my wife, and it was just there. But the dynamic was such that I could not find peace there. I could not find that I had been invested into by Christ to only let it be about me making it safely to the end and have a, a good, warm, comfortable life. That there was something else, and in fact, it was such a strong conviction that it made me begin to sacrifice my own personal time and, and getting, a, getting out of my own self to go help other people find what I was finding. Mm -hmm. And little wonder that the first group that I started this with, I said to them, I'm on a spiritual journey. My journey is to go to this intimate place with Jesus Christ. I think it will be found in the promise that he made to abide in him and he, we will bear fruit. I said, there's something missing. I'm finding a lot, but I want you to help me go to this place and I'll help you go as well. So the very first group in 2001 was about me sharing with them that which had been shown to me, but at the same time realizing 
that unless I did reach out to others, what I was receiving would grow stale. I saw that, that I was raised up for a purpose. And I have come to conclude that it's not just me. It's, I believe it's the truth of all disciples of Christ, starting with the first 11 that he was with, and he gave them the great commission to go make disciples and teach them the stuff I've taught you. And that's in my colloquial way of saying it. He was with them three years. He had really lived it out before them. They had intensive care with him. And they could very well have said, that was a good experience. And I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back home because that was really good. But he said, no, you've got to go and make disciples. That is the call of a disciple. And that is we're poured into by Christ and he will use other people to pour into us. He'll use mentors. He'll use Bible uh, verses that, that stand out to us. He'll walk us through it. He'll use books. He'll use various other ways to try to disciple us. But at the end of the day, it's because he wants us to join him in making disciples. And I saw that. I realized that. <clears throat> I realized that it just can't stop there with me. And I, and I came to that conclusion because I could see his messaging to those disciples. He was saying, I've invested in you. Now I want you to invest into others. So what do you think, you know, you kind of maybe alluded to it for you, but I guess the question is what, what holds people back from going forward? Is it just because they're just concerned about themselves maybe, or they just, or they don't feel adequate? What do, what do you, in your experience with people, what, what's holding them back from going to that next step? Well, let me start with my experience because I think for a long time <clears throat> I was a businessman and I, I looked at, gifted teachers, had some friends that were, <clears throat> and, uh, and I kind of minimized, meant, look, looked at myself and said, I, you know, I'm really kind of bush league. I'm not the real deal. If I were the real deal, I'd go in full-time ministry. Right. And, <clears throat> and I, uh, I just kind of thought that maybe I was either not equipped or not called or, you know, I just didn't know I could make a difference, honestly. And and I did go in full-time ministry in 1984 to 85. And it was during that course of time that Chuck Swindoll, who was who was involved in my life at that time, we had we had lunch together. And I told him, I said, I, I'm living the dream. I'm in, you know, I'm doing what I wanted to do. I'm discipling people. I'm full-time ministry. I don't have to go to a job every day like I did. And I said, but something's wrong. It's just not right for me. And he said, well, here's the, here's the problem. He said, you're called a ministry, but not here. You need to go back and let God lead you to where he wants to take you and you not lead yourself. But I want to tell you, you are legitimately called a ministry. Now, now, this is important because at that particular time, he authenticated me as a businessman to be involved with ministry. 
And because of that, that was a critical step in, in the direction that took me to understanding that I did have a ministry and my ministry was in the marketplace and it was to mentor and coach and teach and help people be able to have this intimacy with Christ that I was seeing. And I think that that's one of the big reasons why people don't minister outward, why they don't disciple, why they don't do the things that we're talking about is because they feel like they're not authentic. Are you still there, Brian? Yes, yes. I have somebody on, on the picture here. I just, I don't see you. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, so I think that's one of the biggest, biggest fields. You got to hurdle, hurdle past the issue that, that we are authenticated to do ministry, but not necessarily in a full-time ministry capacity, not necessarily as a pastor of a church, not necessarily as a seminarian, but using our spiritual gifts and operate in the where we're placed, this is the work of God to do that. And once we grasp that, then we grasp what I call a sacred responsibility. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people don't do it because they're not fully trained. They don't know what to do. Uh, they, they feel it's awkward. Uh, they, they're afraid they'll be rejected. <clears throat> they're afraid, they're afraid of a lot of things that have to do with people's approval or disapproval. But I have found that once a person gets into that intimacy with Christ, they become courageous. Now, if you, if you remember in journey to the inner chamber, when, the refugee who became learner went into the inner chamber and he spent time with the Lord in this place, which is a place of abiding. He came out and it says that he was fully equipped. He had his armor on and he looked dangerous mm. because he was prepared. He was prepared inside out. And of course his mission as it was with the disciples and that is to now go make disciples. And he went back to the refugee camp mm. to in, reinvest what had been invested in him. So I think, I think it has to do with one, not feeling legitimate. That's one thing. Two, feeling awkward. Um, <clears throat> and three, not understanding, Brian, that that is the mission of a disciple and that a disciple makes disciples. And if they don't make disciples, there's something wrong in what their concept of being a disciple is. Hmm. Well, and Rocky, you uh, you led the very first journey group. Uh, well, the first journey group was Jesus and the 12, but the first one in Arkansas anyway, you led. And, uh, you know, uh, you gave it away to seven men. And then, you know, now here we are 20 years later, and so many people have stepped up and got out of their comfort zone. And giving their life away, and, and even though didn't they weren't perfect at it, they didn't know what they were doing always, but they were faithful. And now, as a result of that, we have tens of thousands of people that have gone through the journey now, and uh, so we're seeing the fruit of that right on the other side of it. Isn't that oh yeah, yeah it is. And you know, there's a there's a when we when we do get out of our comfort zone, and when we do begin to look at other people and try to take them to that place that we have been shown 
uh, not only do we help them, but we help ourselves even more. Uh, I, everybody I talk to that's led a journey group will tell tell you and tell me that that was the better experience. The first one was the introduction to the concept of the journey, but helping other people go through the journey and seeing it light up in their life takes us to a deeper place. That's why we have guys that have done journey groups 15, 16, 18, 20, 20 people, 20 times. We had 20 journey groups. I think Mark Sewell is our 20, 20 number candidate. But the fact is, is that it's because they're getting something fresh and new. It's something about their own personal growth as they began to share that which has been given to them. Mm. Then what has been given to them in, intensifies and it goes even deeper. Do you, do you kind of see it as like a spiritual family tree? I mean, you know, before you know it, you, you've got <clears throat> people and then they guide people. And, you know, all of a sudden there's people that you don't even have never even met that are part of your spiritual family tree because, because you were faithful. Do you, do you see it that way? Well, I, I see the, the fruit of it. I don't, I don't try to look at it from a, you know, how many people I got following him because I did it. That's, that would be a different deal. But, you know, Jesus talked about it in, in John 15. He says that, I, that I chose you, you didn't choose me. And I chose you to bear a fruit, a fruit that would remain. Uh, and he was talking about, a legacy. Yeah. He was talking about how our life will reproduce long after we're gone. Now, you just think about those disciples that we're part of their legacy. That's right. And somewhere along the line, somebody above us in years before us, grandparents, parents, or mentors, or whatever, we're, we're getting the benefit of the fruit that they produce as they walk with Jesus. And so I think that we're going to be amazed, amazed at the number of people that when we go to heaven, that we will be shown that our lives touch that we never knew. Uh, and it might be from, through somebody that we were able to give a, a, a tidbit of truth that, that launched them on a different trajectory. And then that person influenced other people. So we're, we're part of an organism. Now you talk about a family tree. This is a living organism mm -hmm. that reproduces. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think that that's one of the things that I, that helped me to understand is I used to think it almost like a corporation <clears throat> that we had to organize and we had to operate as a, as a corporation would from the standpoint of strategy uh, development of resources, uh, communication of, of the things that we're trying to sell, quote, quote. And then, then the Lord showed me, no, it doesn't work that way. It's all about inside out. It's about your walk with me and you helping other people see this walk and then them grasping it. And then through this will be an organic process that will reproduce naturally. It's not something that you have to organize and manage yourself. It's something that I will inspire through you, and it will work through you to other people. So it's contagious. It's like a virus. It will reproduce. 
You know, uh, switching gears just a little bit. Um, a few years ago, we had a, uh, a 40 days of prayer and it was right after Easter. And we, I remember you were calling it 40 days of resurrection prayer is kind of our thought. And, uh, and we just set up the, our office as a prayer room, you know, and had, had butcher paper all over the walls and we had prayer requests and, and we would spend a lot of time each day praying in that room. And, uh, and in that time, uh, God get, kind of gave you a vision of, of something, you know, taking you to a summit. And we you wrote about it in the Beyond the Inner Chamber book. Would you would you explain that just a little bit? Well, you want me to explain the forty day uh, uh, prayer, or do you, or the origin of the, that vision, or do you want me to the book itself? I think talk about the vision because I think I think God was just giving you a picture of His heart for what we're doing and where we're heading as a ministry. I feel like. <clears throat> well, we were in our forty days of prayer, and. And we had a, a, you set up the room really good because it was, we had these names all around the, the room. It was almost like a war room of intercessory prayer. Uh, and when, and we had, uh, we had the, the, the ambiance was really good. You know, it was dim lights and, and there was soft music and it just allowed us to come and stand and look at these walls. And I was reminding of the Wayland wall uh, in Israel and how, when I was there, along with other people, we would go before the wall, and it'd be hushed silence, very, very quiet, very reverent. And, of course, you had the Jews that would do theirs, and, and then you had Christians that uh, has their roots back there. So, you know, somebody like me, I, I would go there, and I prayed, and I, I enjoyed being there. It was a special experience, and that was one of the things that, I felt like I wanted to see us do when we put together that 40 days of prayer. And that is to create almost a wailing wall type thing where we could bring intercession and pray. And what I didn't realize, though, is how it offers the opening for the spirit to move in a person in such a way that it takes you to a deeper place of prayer. And I was there in that deeper place of prayer. And I was alone, and I began to almost see a, a vision of being on a, on a large mountain, like I described in the book, Beyond the Inner Chamber. And I saw myself looking over um, this uh, top of this uh, mountain, over uh, the plains below, and I began seeing the, the cities in, in, a, in a distance. And, and I don't know how to describe it other than to say the book describes it well. And the book describes what I was feeling when uh, the man was told to look out over there and then see the roads that were being built to it and back and forth back to the Holy Mountain. And I think I shared that with you when, I, uh, when we, were, we were there. Later on, we had our uh, national summit and then we discussed that, and this was when we talked about the backpacks, unloading our backpacks, and that came again from that vision, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. And the the backpacks full of rocks, and the rocks uh, represent various burdens that we carry that keeps us from really being able to send that holy mountain and 
and to get into that intimate place with him. And we know that God is a holy God, and he has given us the grace uh, that was required for us to have a relationship with him. But if we want to come deeply and closely into this intimacy with holy God, then there are certain things that are going to have to get out of our backpack. They're going to have to be abandoned. <clears throat> and and so it all started making sense from the time I was given that, I guess you'd say vision, um, while it's in the 40 days of prayer. And then when we had our national summit, and then I connected that dot. And then later on, when I began to see the reality that I felt like the journey was doing a real good job of helping people to know what it means to be a disciple, but there was something missing in helping those disciples reach back to help other people. And so that book was written out of that inspiration that there had to be some form of messaging as part of the curriculum that would, before we got through the nine months, that they would be able to read that book and then they would see the picture that the Lord was showing me. And that is, there's a time that we are poured into. He will pour into us. He will send people to pour into us. The journey pours into people. But then there's also the tension that we have to reach back and help others. Reaching back to our family first, our spouse, our children, the immediate people around us, our relationships, people we work with. There, there's a great, great harvest field out there right around us. We just have to have eyes for it. And so that's what it was, what it was about, Brian. It was about messaging that. Well, and in the book, uh, there was a little scene that really struck me when I read it. I reread it recently. And uh, it, he, I guess he was asking the, the messenger what the scene would be like if he didn't, if he didn't go forward and do his part. And it was like the scene of all the people coming to the mountain all went in reverse and everybody went back and it erased, erased all the discipleship that could have happened, you know, through not through his life, but other people's lives. And, and it just kind of erased it all. And it all went backwards. That really hit me this last time I reread the, the book. And, and you want to talk about that for a second? Well, there's a cause and effect. You know, and Jesus has said that, that, you know, when we abide in him, there will be an effect and it will be fruit. And that fruit looks different. But it's always going to somehow work its way into influencing someone some way toward Christ. And, you know, what, what if, and let's just talk about this. What if those 11 men that Jesus had spent three years with chose not to reach back and help others. What if they went back to their boats and began fishing again? I don't think they could. Obviously, their lives have been so drastically changed that there's a thing called lordship, and their lord said, go make disciples. So it's like, you know, do you even, even need to debate that? But what if they hadn't? What if they chose not to? Uh, what would have happened to uh, you and me, a lot of us? And so throughout the 2,000 years that we've been around since Jesus ascended, we have millions, billions, I guess, of people that have come to know Christ and identified with him. 
But it started right there. Started right there. That's the epicenter at all, right there. And yet there's an epicenter in our life that that when we are right and walking right with Jesus, he will work through our lives and he will impact our world around us. It's a sure thing. He said he would do that. But we, the epicenter has got to be so healthy. Our hearts have got to be right. We've got to be right in walking with him. And then the tension is on him from that point to work through our life to bear the fruit. And to be honest with you, it's, it's the most natural thing in the world to start seeing this fruit drop out of our lives and around our lives because we've got our eyes on Jesus. We, you know, it's kind of like, that's really good. I'm glad that the best thing's going on is I'm seeing this experience with Jesus and, and I'm going out there and I'm showing them what he's showing me and they're getting it. And it's just an amazing experience just to be a part of his outreach to other people through me. And it takes us to a new level of, of purpose. And um, so, Brian, there are a lot of things that would reverse. A lot of things wouldn't happen if we stay put and if we don't join him in making disciples. Not only will there be a lot of people that will miss out on us, but we will miss out as well because we will not gain that which we would have gotten by joining him and going to the harvest field. Well, you know, I know that we've talked a lot about what does it mean to be a disciple, you know, and I, I, you wrote the one of your other books you wrote in proximity, you know, you, you really dove into what does it mean? What, it, what by Jesus definition, what does it mean to be a disciple? You know, and I think perhaps that ties into that quote that you have, that says you really can't be a disciple if you're not making disciples. So talk a little bit about what it means to really be a disciple according to Jesus' definition. Well, you have to redefine it because the world would, right now, I think that there's, we've, we've already seen how the gospel has been watered down in many ways, and, and the concept of discipleship is watered down as well. Uh, discipleship is messy. Uh, discipleship is difficult. You know, to come to know Christ, he pays the entire price. <laughs> I mean, we don't pay anything. We accept it. We believe him. It's his grace to us. He did all the work on the cross. He did it all. So, you know, to know Jesus and to be adopted his family, we don't, we don't pay anything. But to be his disciple will cost us everything mm. because Jesus says that his disciple will deny himself and take up his cross and come and follow him. And that's one of the hardest things for us to do is deny ourselves. This concept of taking up our cross, you know, that that's a metaphor. I doubt many of us will ever be crucified and nailed to a cross like Jesus was, but that cross represented something to Jesus. It represented his mission. It represented a denial of himself. It, it represented pain and suffering for a bigger cause. 
And when he says that to us, to deny yourself, he had to deny himself. He he took off his crown that he had in heaven. He laid it down. He took on the role of a bondservant. He took up on that cross and he put himself on it. He was the guy that put himself on it. He could have taken himself off any time, but he chose to take that mission on. He stayed with it all the way to the end. And when he says, take up our cross, he's saying in a similar way, deny yourself and your purpose is far greater than this life and far greater than what you want to achieve in this world. Your life is about the one to come. You're a citizen of another kingdom, not this kingdom. To be my disciple, he would say, is that you have to do as I've done. And I believe that's what he said. Hmm. Well, and you know, um, as most people on this call would know, that we our process that God gave you, the blueprint, was a, ended up being a nine-month, roughly, process of taking people through the journey to help them understand how to abide and how to become a disciple. And, um, but, and, you know, that's probably been one of the biggest objections that some people would have to the journey. Oh, it's too long, you know, and, and we've, uh, you've been really good about, and we've all been just sticking to the DNA because it's important. It's important enough that it should take a while to get this. You want to make sure you get it. But, but now lately we've been saying we really need about at least two years, right? Cause you got to go through it and then you're not really going to get it until you take some other people through it. So talk about that, that element. <laughs> well, we, you know, the, the journey is a process. It's not a program. And the difference between a process and a program, program tends towards starting and ending. And when you get program minded, you it's basically to check that one off and go another one and build on it almost like you're going to a university and you're going to a freshman class, a sophomore, junior, senior, and somehow or another you gain ground in your intellect and et cetera, et cetera. But a process is not about gaining ground in the intellect. It's about the journey is about gaining ground in proximity with Christ. And so it takes a, a good while for us to begin to understand the things that hinder that journey intimacy with him. Discipleship is about revelation. Uh, and, and then also about what are you going to do with this? And, you know, what we're trying to do is change the rhythm of the way we absorb stuff rather than just trying to pour it in with our intellectual gain. We're trying to engage it into our hearts, which is a, is a harder thing to do. And so when we commit to a nine-month period of time, it's because we feel like it takes that long for a group to begin to work together uh, smoothly, to get into the rhythm of what it means to self-feed, uh, to understand some of the hindrances that were in the way. I mean, the whole concept of enlightened is to kind of reprogram us as far as our thinking about God because we have so many misconceptions about him. And then, then we go into enabled, and enabled is the heart of it. It has to do with what it means to abide, it, what it means the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean the Holy Spirit? A lot of people don't know the Holy Spirit. They don't understand how he works in our life. 
Many of them don't know how to have an extended time of prayer. They don't know how to go to a deeper place. It's hard for them to journal, especially men. But when they began to learn to journal, they find something that changes their life. And after nine months of that, they have a tool that they will carry for the rest of their life. We feel like the nine months is necessary to build a foundation to launch them for the rest of their life. Uh, I mean, you go to school, I mean, you got a nine month uh, commitment to, to a whatever class you're in, whether you're freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, whatever. Generally, it's a nine month curriculum. You have a gestation with a with a child that's conceived and is born. It's nine months. Um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to let something be conceived and gestate and grow so that when the nine month is complete, they will be birthed into something new and fresh and that they turn in turn will be reproducers. Mm-hmm. Now, if we contrast that with programming, programming would say it's too long because people get bored or it doesn't fit within our uh, time frame. And as a result, they're, they're more interested in trying to start and finish on time than they are really concerned about the content. And more than the content, they're less concerned about how it changes the life and more concerned about how it gives knowledge. So we're going to hold true to this because we feel like the Lord has said the journey is a, a, is a process, not a program. And we don't understand why it works. I still don't understand. I got an idea. We've been doing it long enough to to kind of see what's going on. And we do know this is that when people try to modify it, they don't reproduce. It just doesn't reproduce. So it it confirms itself all the time that it needs to be left alone because uh, when when it's left alone, it tends toward producing transforms life and those transformed lives reproduce. Hmm. All right. Got one last question. Then I'd like to just open it up. If anybody had any questions, they want to ask you Rocky. So I do want to have the last 15 minutes for that. But um, you know, Jesus is the one who said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And uh, I think that still holds true today. And don't you think even now, Rocky, in light of recent events, that's never been more true. Yeah. I think that I think it's never been more true that they're 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 more needed now than ever before. Right. Uh, because I believe that this is going to produce a great harvest. I think the world is is not as stable as people uh, thought it was four months ago. I think that uh, most of us have a, a different kind of a change in our equilibrium about not only the economy, but also the United States uh, and, you know, everything from, you know, how, how are we going to make it I mean, with the racial problems that we're having, the, the poison that's being spewed everywhere. And um, this world is in, in, is in, is in terrible damage, a terrible place right now. And damage is great. And because of that, people are coming to the reality of understanding that this world is not, it's not heaven. It's not, it's not, it, it's, there's something better. There's something more. 
and they're opening their hearts now for maybe for the first time. They're willing to talk about Jesus. They're looking for answers to find the peace that's avoiding them. And they need people. We need people that have clear understanding what it means to help somebody come to know Christ and then help them learn to walk with him. That's a labor. A labor is one who's able to reproduce after themselves. And I want you to remember that word reproduce. It's not about just being saved and making it to the end. That's not a labor. A labor is one who's able to wade into this world out there that we're in and be able to influence them toward Christ and show them how to walk with Christ to the point they become reproducers. That's the way the church was organized. It's an organism. And if we'll get back to letting it be the organism, then what will come from that will be tremendous fruit. I think a great awakening in the body of Christ is about to occur, but we've got to have laborers. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Brian Craig, the Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries, encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you today.